listening to the Grid Iron Growl Podcast from ChopTalk.com. Welcome to the Grid Iron Growl Podcast. Mark McLeod with you. You can follow me on Twitter at McLeodLive, M-C-L-E-O-D. Live. Be sure to follow us on Twitter with the podcast at Gridiron underscore Growl and at Chomp Talk because the Gridiron Growl podcast is brought to you by Brian Fox Jr. and company at ChompTalk.com. I am joined by Jake Hitt. Jake, how are you this evening? I'm great. How are you, Mark? Doing well. Doing really well. I mean, you know, in the last podcast, I did it all and it just kind of went over my thoughts on everything that happened because of the timing of it all. It was, uh, it was a little insane with the announcement that morning that it was actually true. And of course, uh, so Bruce Feldman of the athletic broke that story. And of course, uh, everybody was running with it the following morning, the Gators did announce that, uh, the firing of Todd Grantham and John Hevesy was indeed a fact and we moved on. So what I want to do is a couple things real quick is get your take on it initially. And then you and I are going to talk about some potential replacements at the defensive coordinator position, maybe even a couple on the offensive line. I don't know. But uh, also, again, now coming up, you have Sanford. So what are our thoughts? What do we think will happen with Christian Robinson running the Florida defense and what have you? But Jake, if you will, tell everybody how they can follow you and uh, maybe give give them an update on what columns you have that you're working on. Yeah, so everybody can follow me at Jake underscore hit zero six. Um, and things I got going on right now, well, um, we're going to stick to Chomp Talk. I actually do grade the Gators every week for ChompTalk.com, so be sure to go and find some of my past evaluations and see if you agree with me on the assessment of this team on a game-to-game basis. Um, and if you want to see any of my other work, I have all of it posted on InsideTheGators.com. All right, I've weighed in on it. I'll touch on that in a little bit. But first of all, your thoughts. Um, did you see it coming? Did yes. Were you a bit surprised that they not only fired Grantham but did also fire Hevesy? And kind of your, your overall take on it. Yeah, you know, when I first saw that it happened, um, I was like, oh, my God, he actually did it. Like, it, it really happened. I don't think a lot of people um, believe that it would. I think there were rumblings that it could. But then it ended up happening. And you're like, wow, he finally pulled the trigger. Um, I think it's definitely more of a self-preservation move for him uh, as a coach. You know, this is the one of those things you got to do to keep your job. And that's make some changes. And. You know, that's what we've been saying for the last couple weeks since, what, the LSU game? So, and even before that. So, um, I think seeing, you know, Todd Grantham get let go, that's the move you had to make. Um, You could no longer justify his existence, I think, um, because of just how bad the defense had been. And, you know, and Dan said himself, you know, we were not getting better from, I mean, to quote him, they were not getting better from where they started to where they were. You've given up 40 points to a piddling LSU offense, you know, gave up 
thirty some odd points to a South Carolina team that's near that was near the bottom statistically in yards per game and points per game. And then the the John Hevesy thing, I will say that was a little bit of a surprise because they they worked together for twenty years. I really did think, you know, I told people this verbatim. John Hevesy's going to be coaching on that sideline until there's a grave made for him, you know, until he's in a grave plot. <laughs> so him getting fired, I think that wasn't more of a performance thing. I really do think that's more of a recruiting issue um, because I think nobody would deny that John Hevesy is a good football coach and their offensive line was not great at run blocking last year and it didn't get him fired. So, you know, I do think that was definitely more of a recruiting move. Grant them him getting canned um, also will have an effect on the recruiting, but I do think a guy like, you know, uh, John Hevesy, you're either going to get rid of him or, you know, uh, Greg Knox in terms of that. And you can't do that because he's actually got a guy on the, you know, on the commit list right now who's looking to sign. So I think these are two moves. One was a, a no-brainer. The other one was probably a position coach you could get rid of that would have the least amount of impact on your, you know, recruiting overall. It could actually be you could upgrade from. But it was surprising seeing as they've known each other for so long. Yeah, you know what was surprising for me was the Hevesy move. I thought at the end of the year he's going to be fired. I, I really did think that. I thought he's going to have to move away. There's no way he can justify the the recruiting efforts of John Hevesy and leaving it under all the scrutiny that, that Mullen is facing right now. The reason I didn't think he, he – would be fired. And, and I shouldn't say I didn't. I, I, I was really kind of, I don't know if I see that, you know, right now was because who's going to replace him. I mean, it's a lot easier to take an assistant coach or a, a guy, you know, and, and elevate him from, you know, the support staff and move them into a position where they're coaching running backs or maybe even tight ends, but offensive line coach. That's a very different deal. And, of course, now you've got Michael Salina, a guy who's a grad assistant who was with the team in 2020. He's with them in 2021. He, so he knows everybody. He knows all the players. He knows everything he needs to know, uh, you would think. But he lacks really lacks any experience. I mean, coached at Nassau Community College for a few years, two or three years. And Austin P for one year as a tight ends coach before he came to Florida. So very little in the terms of experience. So that one did kind of surprise me just for that reason. Now I got to get your take on this. Dan Mullen, you talked about it being self-preservation and I completely agree with you. Is he still very much on the hot seat in terms of the end of the year, we could see a move made by Scott Strickland or do you see, Florida sticking with Dan Mullen in 2021, or is it just too early to call? You know, I think, uh, sorry, 2022. Sorry, I think my, my take is kind of similar to a lot of people's is, you know, next year is going to be the prove it year for him. He cannot go, you know, seven and five, eight and four, something like that. I don't know if, you know, winning the SEC East, getting back to Atlanta will be the expectation, but they cannot be as inconsistent or the product cannot be as bad as it is now if he wants to keep his job. And, you know, they don't have exactly, you know, a cakewalk of a schedule that year either. This is 
you know, whether Todd Grantham and John Hevesy were still on the staff, he was still really going to be handcuffed, um, you know, going into 2022. Because you're either going to have a bad defensive coordinator and an offensive line coach who's not very good on the recruiting trail, or he was going to have a new set of those and they were going to not be probably topping, you know, guys because nobody was going to want to coach for, you know, a guy who's going to get fired in a year well, if he don't. doesn't perform. Yeah. You know, and so it, it can be a really good resume for you, but are guys willing to leave places they're pretty set in to come to Florida for where you might not have a job in a year and now you're going to come back and find another place to work. So I don't, you know, I think this is the move he had to make to get some heat off him perception wise. And he already said, you know, at his press conference that he was actually going to make these moves at the end of the year, but it just became to the point where they, that he couldn't justify them being on staff even until the season's end. Do you buy that? So, um, you know, I could, I think so, but I, I know where you're coming from doing something that everybody wants you to be like, Oh yeah, I was going to do that anyway. You know, yeah. um, see my take can... on it is I think Scott Strickland had a conversation with Dan Mullen, let him know how serious it was. And I think that's what forced Dan's hand to make that decision right then and there. Yeah, I can see. I mean, I, I could definitely see Scott Strickland saying, look, you're like, he's, he has to go. They have to go. You got to make a, a change or we're going to have to start having discussions about your future with this team. And we've already seen two major power five coaches have to have that heart to heart with, you know, uh, their schools. One of them being Jim Harbaugh, who had to take a pay cut um, and make some changes to his staff. The other one being Scott Frost, who just had to take a big pay cut and make changes to his staff as well. Or not, who just had to make, who just had to take a big pay cut and get the vote of confidence of his athletic director. So it could have been one of those conversations like hey dan like things have to change around here yeah and not only that dan right now we have to do something to show the gator nation that we're serious about making changes making improvements to this program because dan we dan we've just lost four of the last five games three of those games we, we were favored we had no business losing uh, they had yeah. no business losing to south carolina no business losing to lsu no business losing to kentucky so Georgia was the one game everybody thought they'd lose. Just look at that coupled with the three losses at the end of last season and the confidence level of Gator football in the Dan Mullen era was at a, an all-time low, and it was not even close. So I think, I think they had to do something. And I talked about this in the podcast last time, Jake. Dan has kind of glossed over recruiting, kind of waved his hand at it. Any recruiting questions? How he and his staff do it? Is he happy with it? Is he concerned about it? You, you get a wave of the hand and go, "No, I, I like where we're at." You know, blah 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 blah. We've signed some really good players, or guys. A, or, you know that kind of thing. Or it's a, or it's a. We'll talk about this later that he did the other week. Exactly. Let me get your take on this. Then, where are you with Dan Mullen? As someone who covers the team, you know. My job is really, it does not matter who the coach is going to be. Is, you know, I, I got to show up and do my job, you know, whether it's him or John Gruden, you know, cover, uh, worker for a team I cover. But, you know, for me, I think I'm with a lot of people in the sense that where his career is going to go, 
I mean, on field next year is the prove it year. I think if they do not look better, you know, maybe have some more momentum, you know, they're going to have to find a way to fix this class for this cycle and have some real momentum for the next cycle coming in. And they're going to have to look like an improved football team. Now, I'm not saying they got to go 11 and one and, you know, go, go, go to Atlanta, but. If you have, you know, with the schedule that they have, a, a good nine and three year, ten and two, I mean, that saves your job. Um, you know, something like that. So for me, next year is the year that he's got to do it. There's still a few games this year. Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah. If he were they, to lose to a Missouri or a Florida State, Lord knows, none of us hope that happens. Is that the nail in the coffin? I I don't know. That's that's going to be pretty bad because. <laughs> It's been, you know, just just the last year, like I'm talking like calendar year alone, there's been some pretty bad losses, you know, uh, some pretty inexplicable ones like the Texas A&M one, like that one to LSU, you know, like the one to LSU again, uh, the Cotton Bowl, the loss to South Carolina, obviously, you know. Um, so if, he, if they go out and to Como – which honestly is not a guaranteed win in itself just based on how the team has played this year. Or they come out against a, a Florida State team that started the year, what, 0-4, 0-3? I forget the number now. feels like week four and three were a million years ago. But you know, he comes out and loses to those. There's getting the noise. Is, I mean, look, the noise is at 11 right now. I don't know how much louder it can get, but it feels like losses to one of those two would definitely be something that rips the knob off. And it wasn't supposed to be this difficult. You know, I talked about on the podcast, Florida played seven teams in this schedule who have first or second year head coaches still trying to get those programs together. They've got an additional program. That would be their eighth opponent, LSU, where Coach O not only was on the hot seat, he was fired. He's just coaching them out. This was supposed to be a 9-3 and three year. Lose to Alabama, lose to Georgia, lose to one other team, which Dan Mullen always seems to have that one game, although this year it's been more than one game. Last year it was more than one game. He just doesn't have the team prepared. They get upset or they lose a the game they shouldn't do, lose, however you want to put it. And this was supposed to be that year. And... Florida sitting here at, at four and five. Uh, just unbelievable. Uh, any final thoughts on this as you as, as we kind of wrap up this part of the conversation and move toward, okay, what's next? Who does Florida bring in as a D coordinator? Yeah, I think, I mean, I agree with you. I think a lot of people were not expecting a great year um, in terms of Florida football. You know, I don't think they were expecting to compete for an SEC title. Um, considering all that was lost. But like you said, just how the losses have occurred and, you know, the way the circumstances of the season have played out, you know, obviously no fan ever expects to lose to Kentucky, and they did, so people were mad about that. But, you know, second time in a row, you're playing, you know, an LSU team that's downtrodden. They don't look good, like, at all. They have a ton of guys out, and they just come out and, are completely a different team against you and look competitive and 
you know, a guy, a team that was averaging like 83 yards a game on the ground had a guy break the single game record for rushing yards. And it was broken by one of the best players in program, or it was set by one of the best players in program history. And then you come out against a, a piddling South Carolina team and, you know, it's kind of the same effect. So, yeah, like, you know, not many people were high on how this, you know, season was going to go, but the way it's turned out, it's, you know, it's it's not something that I think fans are okay with, if that makes any sense. But, yeah. Yeah. you know, where do we go from here? I mean, you got to win these next three games. Uh, even Dan himself said that he was going to look, you know, even on the off days or time where they got time to look at some candidates and, you know, see who would be available. Because it's going to be hard attracting some top assistants who are going to be, you know, names high on people's boards. Or, you know, guys who are in pretty good situations to want to come to Florida. You're right. That's exactly right. I said that during the podcast a couple of days ago that, you know, he, look, he's a lame duck coach. And that's the part from the press conference on Monday that I won one part where I disagreed with Dan. And I said, that's not true. He because he, he was asked that and he made the comment. Guys, this is Florida. This is the University of Florida. Blah, blah. Well, yeah, but if a coach, an assistant coach that you want to bring in is a home run hire, is that good? That guy's going to have a lot of other offers. If he's smart, that guy's not going to look at Florida. And they're already going to come down a few notches because this guy doesn't want to go to Gainesville, move his family there, and then pick up and move in a few months. So... I, I'm not convinced Dan Mullen is out of the woods. And for myself speaking, I'm not sure he's the right guy. But if Scott Strickland stays with him, hey, let's go. Let's go. But he has to make changes that affect recruiting in a much, much more positive way. Samford coming up. We'll talk about them in just a minute. But defensive coordinator hires. I'll start with it real quickly here. The move to Christian Robinson surprised me. I thought it might be McGriff is who I really thought they would go with. But, you know, I like the move with Christian Robinson. A young guy, energetic. The players really respect him and look at him favorably. At least that's been my thought since he's been at Florida. Hey, great opportunity for the young man. And let's see what he can do with it if he does a good job. If you can really see that Florida defensive unit fly into the football making tackles, which has been a big pet peeve of mine for the past couple years, the number of missed tackles, playing disciplined football, you know, doing the things that they need to do, then, hey, this guy may be making a name for himself, not just as a linebacker coach, but as a defensive coordinator. And if Dan Mullen were to go into the 2022 season, then you would have to look at Christian Robinson and say, that could be your next defensive coordinator. But here's my question. Here, here, and I question myself with this. I'm going to certainly throw it at you. Christian Robinson being the defensive coordinator, is it enough of a resume if you beat Sanford, Missouri, and Florida State, and, you know, whoever Florida may play in a lower tier, for lack of a better word, awful bowl game? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think it would say more to how the, like you said, how the defense looks. Yes. Yeah. With Grant, I mean, with 
Robinson in there calling plays and coordinating defense versus a guy like Todd Grantham. I mean, we've had, you know, three, four and a half years of film of how a Todd Grantham defense plays. I think we'd be able to tell the difference between that and a Christian Robinson defense, just spitballing here. Um, but you and I, I both know, much- know, Jake, that people are going to, the first thing people are going to say, yeah, but that was against Sanford. But yeah, that yeah, was against exactly. Florida State. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but uh, but I think, you know, things like technique, playing discipline, those are things that could happen against anybody. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, whether it's Sanford or whether it's Alabama, you are out of position or don't know what you're doing or miss tackles, you know, that's that's not because, you know, the other, you know, the, the quality of the team, that's you. At least in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I agree with you. People are going to bring that up. That's going to be brought up, and, and that's going to be weighed. I'm with you. Look, if, if the players are all bought in, and I mean, this is only one part of it, because there are other potential candidates to be vetted. If Florida plays well enough, you've got to throw Christian Robinson's name in the mix as the D coordinator in 2022. Just how much weight will it carry is – you know, is something Mullen and, and company will have to weigh out, uh, certainly versus not only the level of competition, other potential defensive coordinators. But who are some of those other names that, that you would like to see Dan Mullen consider? Uh, you know, I saw, you know, um, a list by Nick De La Torre you know, over at Rivals.com. He does great work. And there was one that I didn't consider that I – that you know, made, I don't know if it made sense, but it definitely, you know, when, when I read it, I was like, this could be a guy to interview. And that's a uh, Kevin Steele, a uh, former Auburn and Tennessee uh-huh. uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, he has gone since Tennessee gave him the boot, you know, he hasn't really worked like at all. So, and he's, you know, not, a, not too bad a recruiter either. So that could definitely be a guy that I would like to see at least get an interview uh, you know, a guy like Tim Lukabu, who's at um, Boston College, they are in a pretty good defense as well. Um, and who else? Some I saw a uh, – oh, um, I think a lot of people are thinking of maybe, you know, I think there was some discussion with him, and that's uh, Travaris Robinson, who's at Miami, coaches the defensive backs. Well, Will Muschamp got fired. You know, there was some talk with Florida about him possibly coming on as defensive backs coach, co-DC, and probably something to do with Todd Grantham happened, and he ended up going to Miami. So I would think that's a guy who gets a phone call as well. Would he take it as a co-defensive coordinator? To get T-Rob and his his ability to recruit would be huge for the Gators, uh, certainly. Um, I don't know that I'd want him as the, the defensive coordinator outright, though. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, it's just going to be hard to justify bringing a guy on and giving him code EC and not giving him something else. Yeah. Um, when you already when you just hired two DB coaches, you know, last year. But when you need so to fix means- recruiting as bad as Florida needs to address it, <laughs> you're Scott Strickland. You write that check. You got to pay. You got to write that check and, and get this program where it needs to be in terms of personnel, top to bottom. Yeah, I mean. 
like you said, I, I don't think they would, you know, if they can get Javaris Robinson, I don't think they'd bat an eye at getting rid of a guy like, you know, Jules Montnar um, just to bring him in so that he could coach DBs and be the co-DC. But like you said, is he willing to do that or does he want to be the defensive coordinator outright? Exactly. Dan, if I'm coming in, I want to be the D coordinator. I want to have the ability to do what I want to do. Uh, who are some of the other names? You know, I really like this guy. I don't know if he'd ever take it, uh, but I've thought of like a guy like Jim Leonard, who former Wisconsin Badger safety, now coaches the Badgers on defense. They have a really good defense this year. Um, I, and so I would definitely be a guy you would want to give a call to as well. But like I said, he's a diehard Badger. He's an All-American player for them. You know, double-digit years in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken. Um so it would be hard to see if he would take it, but you got to gauge some interest there as well. Let you bring some of the guys to the table. I'm going to eliminate a few. Will Muschamp is not coming to the University of Florida to be a defensive coordinator. It's not happening. <laughs> I've seen that posted by several people. Yes, let's do that. No, it's not going to happen. There's no way Will Muschamp, who was once the head coach here, is coming back here just to be a D coordinator. Uh, that's not happening here. I don't see Florida hiring Ed Orgeron to be their defensive coordinator either. Orgeron, I don't think he's ever even been a coordinator. No, uh, he can recruit. He can probably coach the D line up a bit. But, but no, I, I just don't see them bringing Pruitt, former Tennessee coach. I know he's no. got some issues with NCAA. He's also suing his old employer as well. Yeah, I I just – that's a no. Those are just a few thoughts that I had right away. Offensive line coach, there's a lot of guys who who would be in that mix, really are. There are are quite a few guys that would be be there for Florida and available there. Yeah, I think offensive line, um, I think a hot name right now from Florida fans is a guy like Phil Trotwine who's the offensive line coach at Penn State. I don't know how he got up there, but he did. Uh, I know he's a northerner. Um, and so, you know, the thing guy. with Phil, yeah, he is a New Jersey guy. The thing with Phil Trotwine is he's had some really good recruits. He's been a good recruiter. Uh, according to 24-7, he's the, like, 10th or 11th best recruiter in the Big Ten. But one thing Dan Mullen likes to do is run the ball, and they have actually not had – um, some good games this year rushing the football. So it would be interesting to see, you know, how that all plays out. Um, you know, you're playing in the SEC. It probably is a little bit different when you're getting the guys at Florida. Um, and it could be just some issues this year specifically looking at it. But I do know that Phil Trotwine is a guy who would, you know, he's a Gator grad. He played under Dan Mullen. Um, at least as an offensive coordinator, you know, he's almost a John Hevesy disciple, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but it's, you know, something to think about. Uh, and you said yourself, you know, he's a guy who would definitely, you know, take the job if it was offered to him. Well, he said he would love to come back to Florida. Now, whether he'd take it oh, right now just... with all, with the situation the way it is, you know, I, that, that I don't know, but I interviewed Phil three years ago. Yeah, we, we stayed in contact, texting one another a little bit here and there. But, yeah, and honestly, he's a Steve Adazio guy. 
more so than a than a John Hevesy. He's a Steve Adazio guy, and he uh, had a lot. He has a lot of respect for Adazio. We talked about Adazio uh, quite a bit, and he also said that um, you know when we when I point blank asked him, I said, you know, how how would you feel about if you ever came around where you got an opportunity to go back to Florida? And he said, oh man, that would be awesome. He really loves Florida. He appreciates everything about Gainesville and his time here. Loved the fan base, loved the support they gave the program. So he was, he, he just really spoke eloquently about his time in Gainesville and at the University of Florida and playing for the Gators. So yeah, that was a, that was a, a good one. Uh, any final thoughts there? Um, no, it's just uh, it's going to be a very interesting job search, and I'm very excited to start tracking planes and not a Gainesville again. <laughs> All right, Florida's got Sanford coming up. Um, Chris Hatcher, the head coach at Sanford. Of course, Chris Hatcher, Southern boy. I mean, he's a guy that that, that uh, grew up playing at Valdosta State back in the 90s. He coached there. He's been at Georgia Southern. He's been around a little bit. His sixth year, I believe, at Sanford. And, you know, it was interesting when I looked at the notes. I did not realize this. Florida hasn't played Sanford since 1922. 1922. Can you believe that? Yeah, that's, uh, that's insane. Sanford is struggling. I think they're 4-5 and five as well. So, so this is a game where Florida, more so than anything else, Jake, they, they've got to go out and they've got to play their game. They've got to find their game. It would be nice to see Florida play 60 minutes of football. That'd be the first time this season they've done that. Got to cut down on the mistakes. The turnover margin has to be in Florida's favor. Missed tackles, missed tackles, missed tackles have plagued this team. Um, red zone offense in terms of the passing game has got to improve. It's it's really been miserable. They can run the ball in the red zone a bit, but but you can't be one-dimensional. Everything gets tight in that red zone. So you've got to be able to throw it a bit, mix it up. And Florida passing the ball in the red zone has just been a difficult thing to watch for uh, much of the season. So the biggest take I have is Florida's got to figure themselves out. They've got to find themselves and go and uh, suit up and, and see if they can change the narrative and work toward becoming a much better football team, a much more physical football team. And a football team that that is actually going to play four quarters. Yeah, I think when you're presented to uh, with an opportunity like this, you know this is this is a get right game because it's not been you know easy sledding. You've only won you know really one game in your last several attempts uh, at getting a win, and so you know this is something where you just got to go back to what you were doing early in the year. That's run the ball. Uh, establish the run game, physical up front at the offensive line, um, you know, give it to those amazing, you know, three-headed monster uh, tailback you have in Damian Pierce, Malik Davis, Naquan Wright. Heck, even just feed one of them. You know, feed Damian Pierce. He's been the best runner out of the three of them. I think, um, yeah, these last few games uh, that they've lost and he's not gotten much opportunity. Uh, I'm a big, I mean, for me, I'm a fan of, or at least a supporter of giving it more to the guys who have the word run in their name. <laughs> um, when it comes to running the football, I don't know why, but it just feels like a guy, a quarterback doubling up a running back in terms of carries just doesn't sit right with me. 
but but you know also the defense has to get back to the front seven has to get back to being established again. Um, I think it's shown at times to be a really good, a really disruptive group, but these last couple of weeks, they've just been, you know, pushed over for lack of a better word and just been kind of not as what we've seen earlier in the year. Um, you know, secondary, secondary actually hasn't been a problem. Now I know there was that super big coverage bust, um, you know, against South Carolina, but you haven't really been, you know, hearing the corner names be called for a bad reason. I think Rashad Torrance, um, he didn't have a great game against South Carolina, but had some really good ones, um, especially against Georgia. So they're not going to, you know, I'm not really worried about them. They need to stay solid, but definitely the front seven needs to get back to the way it played um, earlier in the year. Linebackers need to make sure they're playing well, um, you know, beating guys to the holes, getting off blocks when they can, because they're a little bit of a smaller group, but they got speed, and that's what they got to use to their advantage. And, yeah, look, you know, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the last thing was the quarterbacks. Quarterbacks just got to learn to not turn the ball over. You know, you just got to get back to get back in a rhythm, pitch and catch, throwing the ball, managing the offense. Don't try to do too much. You know, just hit the reset button on everything, basically. They've got to get more physical. There was a, a stretch there where Georgia's just punching them in the mouth and doing what they wanted to do. Meanwhile, that was like the first quarter of the Alabama game. Alabama was punching them in the mouth and getting away with it, and then Florida said, oh, no, 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 no. And the last three quarters were really impressive by the Gators. You know, that's what they've got to get back to. they got to play physical football, and they have not been playing physical football on both sides of the ball. It's been uh, tough to watch. So they've got to go out there and establish that. And the one thing I would like to see being a Sanford game, look, get out there, get out to that early lead. Let's rotate some guys in. Let's see some more of that youth, you know? I think that yeah, that's let's, something let's that would really young help. Guys. Exactly. You know, I think um, for better or for worse, and whether it was right or wrong, a lot of people were very excited, you know, to see a guy like Demarcus Bowman or Lorenzo Lingard, you know, gets some touches at the running back spot, and they just haven't gotten there. Um, I think it's a good opportunity to try out a new returner. You know, I think yeah. Xavier Xavier Henderson's not been bad in the return game, but he's also not been, you know, a, a game changer. A guy like Fenley Graham put up m- insane numbers as a returner in high school. Um, it would be great to see him get some opportunity to do so. Maybe even get in the younger quarterbacks like a Jalen Kitna or a you know Carlos Del Rio Wilson, um, and definitely try to get Marcus Burke some more run. He had a great catch against South Carolina. It's proven that he can definitely be a game changer for them too. Yeah, Florida should score and score at will. I mean, this defense for Sanford is not good, not good at all. They've given up 482 yards per game in total total defense near the bottom of the FCS. They've given up uh, 230 yards rushing. (laughs) So to your point about Pierce, exactly. Hand Pierce the ball. Let's see what happens. Let's see the big offensive line for Florida move people like we did the first few games of the season and see what happens there. Now, the offense, they can score. They can do some things. They they really, uh, again, that's Chris Hatcher. So they're going to have an offense that throws it around a bit and does some nice things. And, they are one of the top teams in the FCS in passing, one of the top teams in the FCS in total offense. So 
they, they do some really nice things offensively. Again, should be a game Florida walks the dog, pun very much intended. I don't know how many people are going to be in the stands. I think that's that's going to be something that that is going to be focused on by the certainly the, the, the media, particularly regional, national, is they're going to be looking at this game going, All right, let's see how many fans show up. We already know it's not going to be a packed house because it's Sanford. But how many people kind of mail it in and – and send the message to Scott Strickland and, and Dan Mullen and the Florida Brass and say, you know, I, I'm not happy. I'm not happy with this. So there are better things for me to do on a Saturday, uh, and I'm going to do those things. I'll be real curious to see how many or how few people show up on Saturday at noon. Well, shoot, you might not even have that many people uh, compared to, you know, regular games watching. Because this is a stream-only game. It's yeah, on it's SEC true. Network Plus and on ESPN Plus. I don't know how many people are going to watch that or have the ability to, you know. And this is probably the first time they've been off of cable television since when? Since they played Furman in, like, 2011? I, I, I just, yeah, just don't think there's going to be a lot of interest in this game at many levels unless they go out and lose to Sanford. Then everybody will be talking about it. Yeah, let's not have a Georgia Southern. That would be, if you want to talk about nails in the coffin, that would be it right there. That would be it. That would be it. I haven't even mentioned that I've, because that hasn't even crossed my mind. Look, they're not going to lose to Sanford. You know, that's kind of been my take. But, you know, a trip to Missouri, Florida State, a rivalry game. Columbia, Missouri, it's oh. never a great place to play. It's going to be a 3 p.m. start, so we'll actually yeah. be, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but. Basically, going out to Como, it's going to be a pretty sleepy, you know, um, experience. It's it's just the way Missouri happens to you. And then, obviously, Florida State, that game's going to be played at 8 a.m. on C-SPAN. So, um, who tell who knows what's, who's going to win? All right, that's all I've got. Uh, everybody, I'm going to let Jake send it out of here. But thank you for listening to the podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at McLeod Live, M-C-L-E-O-D Live. Certainly follow at Chomp Talk. For the latest on the Gators at Chomp Talk, and then obviously for what we're doing here on the podcast at Gridiron underscore Grow. Thank you, thank you for each and every one of you listening. Pass it on to your family members, your friends, your coworkers. We certainly would appreciate it. And I will let Jake send it out of here. Yeah, a lot of things still to figure out with this Florida team. They're going to have a get right game against Sanford, but we'll have to pay more attention. The more intriguing part will be who gets hired as defensive coordinator and offensive line coach, or at least targeted in these coming weeks. But uh, that'll be it for today. For Mark McLeod, I'm Jake Hitt. We'll see you later.